0: Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is.
1: <laughs> it certainly is. Well played, Michelle Obama. Well played. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. Something right. No, hey, I'm so scared in case I'll fall off my chair. And I wonder how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep, yes, I'm stuck in the middle from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Red Bluff and Red, in California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, which has been running us for a long time, and I'm finally getting around to mention them, sorry No Lies Radio, (laughs) Deprogrammed Radio, and Verdant Square Radio, formerly GDPR Revolution 99, Now back as Verdant Square Radio. Glad to have you back, guys. And, of course, Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Well, it has been 100 years today since women fought for and won Finally won the right to vote in this country. I should say only 100 years as the U.S. is 244 years old this year. So women were still not allowed to vote for most of our nation's history. And of course, it took them generations uh, before they were allowed to vote at all. And no, they were not granted the right to vote. Thank you. In uh, thank what, 1920? you, I tell
2: you how yeah. many headlines I have seen that I have <laughs> shouted at and said, "No, no, they won it."
1: They did indeed. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Are you going to vote this year?
2: Yeah, damn straight.
1: You're a woman. Yes. Uh, all right, I shall let you. In any event, <laughs> uh, yes, they uh, won. They won the 19th Amendment uh, when it was finally ratified in 1920. Uh, Women have had the right to vote, but only since 1920 in this country, which is still kind of amazing. As Colorado election official Dwight Shellman correctly noted on Twitter today, uh, quote, "...men did not give women the right to vote 100 years ago. Women organized and marched for decades to take it from men who ridiculed, arrested, and imprisoned them." In a shamefully transparent campaign season uh, sop today, Donald Trump, uh, who never met a woman he didn't despise, uh, has been uh, very busy attempting to steal the election by suppressing the votes of women and men alike this season, but he granted an official pardon to suffragette leader Susan B. Anthony, who was actually jailed for voting unlawfully as a woman. The uh, pardon, the presidential pardon, as one Twitter user quipped, greatly increases the president's chances of carrying the vote this year in Suffragette City. (laughs) Hat tip to David Bowie fans there. In any event, that hard-fought and hard-won right is playing out right now. As Tuesday, there are elections in Alaska, Wyoming, and the critical swing state of Florida where state primaries are being held. We'll have available results on tomorrow's broadcast as this long, strange, delayed primary season uh, continues to play out, even as the two major parties' political conventions, or whatever we should now call these things, as they play out on socially distanced TV broadcasts. We'll get to some of the highlights from day one of the Democratic National Convention shortly here. But some quick news of note. First, uh, speaking of voter suppression, this is uh, this story is now moving very quickly. It's very difficult to keep up with. That is largely a good thing, as the issue is now stoking outrage among Democrats, among the public, and yes, even a few Republicans, after we've been uh, railing on and on about it for weeks now. Over the weekend, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called House members back from their summer recess early to vote on a bill this coming Saturday that would roll back any procedural changes made by Trump Republican mega-donor turned Postmaster General Louis DeJoy after new mandates to end overtime pay and remove more than 670 high-speed sorting machines from Postal Service distribution centers around the country were clearly meant to slow down mail delivery in advance of the largest mail-in election we have ever had in this country, thanks to Donald Trump's utter, shameful, deadly failure to control the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S. Well, on Monday, DeJoy and former RNC chair turned Trump-appointed chair of the Trump-appointed postal, uh, U.S. Uh, postal Service Board of Governors, Robert Duncan. uh, They both agreed to testify to a House Oversight Committee panel next Monday. And now the Postmaster General has also agreed to testify in the U.S. Senate this Friday in advance of the planned House hearing uh, three days later. He will appear before the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, which is chaired, of course, by uh, Republicans. The Washington Post was first to report that on Tuesday. He is expected to answer questions about the mail slowdown as well as a $25 billion USPS funding package currently being blocked by Senate Republicans in Congress and by the president at the White House, even after that money was requested by the Postal Board of Governors, which has a Republican majority entirely appointed by Donald Trump himself. Trump has uh, stated repeatedly that he's against the $25 billion, uh, package for the Postal Service because it would help facilitate widespread mail-in voting. Not long after uh, that was announced on Tuesday, in response to all of the continuing outrage, DeJoy said that uh, he will now postpone the USPS overhaul until after the November election, quote, to avoid Even the appearance of any impact on election mail. He said that, uh, yeah, he said that uh, for now, approval of overtime hours for postal workers will continue, quote, as needed, whatever that means, and that mail processing equipment will be untouched and mail centers will be left open. That, of course, after a number of high speed sorting machines had already been removed. After outrage at the removal of uh, postal collection boxes around the country over the weekend, after that resulted in the post office saying that they would stop doing that for now, though we have seen out here in Los Angeles and elsewhere around the country that while boxes are not being removed, these metal covers are being put over them, locked on to prevent them from being used to mail a letter.
2: Yeah. So or, he, a,
1: or a ballot. So
2: he's stopped removing them. He's just locking them so they can't, can't be, be used. Yeah. So sure. it's some some sneaky wording there. And doesn't I haven't seen any info on whether or not the sorting machines are going to be restored.
1: The ones that they have already uh, dismantled. Uh-huh. Don't know. I suspect it'll come up uh, Friday in the Senate and it Monday better. in the House. But uh, yeah, you're right to be dubious about DeJoy's claims here that changes You know, we'll we'll now wait until after the election. Uh, He said, in addition, effective October 1, we will engage standby resources in all areas of our operation, including transportation, to satisfy any unforeseen demand, he said. Okay. hope that's good. The announcement comes as now at least 20 states are reportedly... Poised any minute if they haven't already to sue the U.S. Postal Service and DeJoy over these uh, over this restructuring. The Washington Post reports on Tuesday that there will be two lawsuits on the issue filed by different states, all led by Democratic attorneys general. They will reportedly argue that DeJoy's new policy will keep states from holding. Free and fair elections and that the service had implemented the changes in violation of a law requiring the agency to receive permission from the Postal Regulatory Commission before any such changes are made. Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch told The Post he and his colleagues are trying to curb Trump's attacks, what he called attacks, on the Postal Service, quote, which we believe to be an attack on the integrity of Of the election. This conduct is illegal. It's unconstitutional. It's harmful to the country. It's harmful to individuals, Frosch argued. Recent post office changes have been implemented recklessly, says Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro, before checking the law, and we will use our authority to stop them and help ensure that every eligible ballot is counted, uh, said Shapiro to the Washington Post. A criminal complaint has also been filed by Congressman Bill Pascrell with the um, Democratic congressman with the New Jersey attorney general. Uh, A complaint against uh, DeJoy's slowdowns as well. On Monday in a twisted tweet, I guess, I I don't know how else to describe it. It was in all caps. So as usual, you know, Donald Trump really meant it. Uh, He said simply in all caps, save the post office. Pascrell then retweeted that tweet, adding deranged lying arsonist yells fire. (laughs) DeJoy announced on Tuesday afternoon that he would be, in fact, now suspending the new policies until after the elections on November 3. But of course, ballots are still allowed to arrive in many states after November 3rd. California will count ballots postmarked by November 3rd as long as they arrive up until November 20th. Other states have similar provisions, so hopefully he's not going to uh, restore these restrictions on November 4th, but we will see. In other election-related news of note today, election uh, 2020-related news and election 2016-related news, The Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee released on Tuesday the most comprehensive and meticulous examination, according to CNN to date, explaining how they conclude that Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election, that the Trump campaign welcomed the uh, foreign adversary's help, including the revelation of new information about contacts between Russian officials, and associates of Donald Trump during and after the 2016 campaign. In several key ways, CNN and others note, the bipartisan committee's counterintelligence investigation goes beyond the findings of former special counsel Robert Mueller's report released last year. As the Republican-led Senate panel was not limited to questions of criminality that specifically drove the special counsel's probe. Among the key findings from the nearly 1,000-page report, and this was their fifth and final in a series of similar reports, key findings, Trump's then-campaign chair, Paul Manafort, was working with Konstantin Kalimnik, a Russian intelligence officer, and sought to share internal Trump campaign information with Kalimnik, The committee says it obtained information suggesting Kalimnik may have been connected to Russia's 2016 hacking operation and concludes Manafort's role on the campaign, quote, represented a grave counterintelligence threat. Some would say that alone would be good enough uh, reason for the FBI to investigate or as Donald Trump likes to call it, have Barack Obama spy on my campaign. Uh, Most of this section uh, in the report is fully redacted, leaving key details uh, still a mystery for now. After the election, the uh, report finds Manafort and Klimnik actively, quote, participated in influence operations, unquote, to promote the false narrative that it was Ukraine that meddled in the 2016 election, not Russia, and that it did so in order to uh, help Clinton win. Both Manafort and Kalimnik participated in that, which the uh, bipartisan Senate committee says is completely untrue and has no evidence in support. They uh, note, uh, quote, the committee identified no reliable evidence that the Ukrainian government interfered in the 2016 U.S. election, offering the most definitive U.S. denial on that topic to date. The report found that Trump and senior campaign officials sought to uh, obtain advance information on WikiLeaks email dumps through Roger Stone and that Trump spoke to Stone and many others in the campaign multiple times about WikiLeaks. That despite telling special counsel Robert Mueller in written answers that uh, he had, quote, no recollections that they had spoken about it, that from the written answers Donald Trump gave to Mueller. The bipartisan report strongly pushes back on the likelihood that Trump had no such discussions. It says Trump and Stone spoke about WikiLeaks information prior to its release. That, according to uh, Trump advisors Rick Gates, Trump lawyer Michael Cohen, and extensive phone records, especially from June of 2016, just prior to the release of the stolen information. The report notes that, quote, despite Trump's recollection, the committee assesses that Trump did, in fact, speak with Stone about WikiLeaks and with members of his campaign about Stone's access to WikiLeaks on, quote, multiple occasions. The Senate committee clearly documents uh, how multiple leaders on the campaign and the president himself talked with Stone throughout 2016 about reaching WikiLeaks and using the leaks of stolen Democratic emails to Trump's advantage, as well as showing how Stone then lied to Congress about it, which is a federal crime for those keeping track at home, one uh, for which uh, a jury has now found Roger Stone guilty. Robert Mueller, in a uh, less redacted version of his own report released in June, raised the possibility that Trump lied to him in those uh, written remarks, which, by the way, yes, is a federal crime, for which now Stone, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, and, uh, and uh, Michael Cohen have all been convicted. While Mueller uh, was uh, documenting obstruction of justice by the president, he noted that uh, Trump, well, Probably lied to him. The Senate committee found that uh, information offered at the infamous June 2016 Trump Tower meeting was, quote, part of a broader influence operation by the Russian government, that Russian government actors continued until at least January of 2020. That's this year. They continued to uh, to spread disinformation about Russia's election interference and that Manafort and Kalemnik. Both sought to promote the narrative that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 election. Once again, I think I need to underscore that this is a bipartisan U.S. Senate committee led by a Republican offering these findings today. They found that Russia took advantage of the Trump transition team's inexperience in opposition to Obama administration policies, quote, to pursue unofficial channels and that it is likely that Russian intelligence services and others acting on the Kremlin's behalf exploited the Trump transition's shortcomings for Russia's advantage. Also, they found the, uh, that the campaigns, political leaders and other influential Americans must be even more diligent in the future, the future, I think that would be now, Uh, not to fall victim to Russian interference given the extent of the effort by Russia and the successes to reach campaign operatives in 2016. The report, as CNN underscores, is all the more remarkable because it was led by uh, then-Senate Intelligence Chair Richard Burr, the North Carolina Republican, along with uh, Democratic Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, It uh, provides an exhaustive bipartisan confirmation of the contacts between Russians and Trump associates in 2016. And it was the only congressional committee that managed somehow to avoid the partisan infighting that plagued all of the other congressional investigation into Russian election meddling. It comes at a time when the intelligence community has warned again that Russia is, yes, still seeking to interfere In the U.S. presidential election coming up, and as Trump has continued to try to undermine Russia investigation findings of all sorts and prosecutions during his re-election campaign, the nearly 1,000-page report caps off a three-year investigation into 2016 election interference that included more than 200 interviews by this one committee alone, including with top Trump family members and campaign officials. The report was released with redactions from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. It's the fifth volume, as I noted, uh, that the committee has released, with the previous chapters examining Russia's social media campaign and affirming that Russia was seeking to help Trump's campaign. Speaking of uh, national security matters, under the now presidency of Donald John Trump, This was not from Monday night's virtual Democratic National Convention. We'll get to that in a moment. But this video could have been, arguably should have been, maybe, who knows, uh, before the week is out, maybe it actually will be played at the DNC. This is Miles Taylor, former Deputy of Homeland Security Chief of State, Chief of Staff, the Chief of Staff at DHS, the Chief of Staff under Donald Trump in a new ad by the group Republicans Against Trump.
3: I'm Miles Taylor. I served as the chief of staff of the Department of Homeland Security under the Donald Trump administration. I would go into the office, I would read my intelligence brief, and then it was my job to help the Department of Homeland Security to keep our country safe. What we saw week in and week out, and for me after two and a half years in that administration, was terrifying. We would go in to try to talk to them about a pressing national security issue cyber attack, terrorism threat. He wasn't interested in those things. To him, they weren't priorities. The president wanted to exploit the Department of Homeland Security for his own political purposes and to fuel his own agenda. The California wildfires on a phone call with the Federal Emergency Management Agency he told FEMA to cut off the money and to no longer give individual assistance to California. He told us to stop giving money to people whose houses had burned down from a wildfire because he was so rageful that people in the state of California didn't support him and that politically it wasn't a base for him. The policies at the border, he wanted to restart zero tolerance and separate families. He said he wanted to go further and have a deliberate policy of ripping children away from their parents to show those parents that they shouldn't come to the border in the first place. A lot of the time, the things he wanted to do not only were impossible, but in many cases illegal. He didn't want us to tell him it was illegal anymore because he knew that there were, and these were his words, He knew that he had magical authorities. He was one of the most unfocused and undisciplined senior executives I've ever encountered. I came away completely convinced based on firsthand experience that the president was ill-equipped and wouldn't become equipped to do his job effectively. And what's worse, was actively doing damage to our security. People who are still serving in this administration have said to me, just wait until the second term. It'll be no holds barred. It'll be shock and awe. We'll do what we want. Given what I've experienced in the administration, I have to support Joe Biden for president. And even though I'm not a Democrat, even though I disagree on key issues, I'm confident that Joe Biden will protect the country. And I'm confident he won't make the same mistakes as this president. Uh,
1: Kind of amazing. uh, uh, Ouch. (laughs) Comments there from Miles Taylor, the uh, chief of staff. Formerly of Donald Trump's Department of Homeland Security,
2: especially shocking coming in right before this Senate Intelligence Report.
1: Yeah, that did. Uh, it the went, timing he, saying is saying what he saw was terrifying. There, that uh, Trump wanted to exploit DHS for his own personal benefit. That while out here, uh, California was burning, Donald Trump didn't want to give money, uh, f- federal assistance, because. Not enough people supported him, I guess. By the way, you know what what state in the Union do you think has more Republicans than any other state? California does. Just FYI, Mr. President. on uh, the, uh, on uh, Good Morning America this morning, uh, Taylor said we should expect more such jaw-dropping revelations from other insider Trump officials in the weeks ahead of the election. Looking forward to that. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, did you hear that the Democrats are holding their national convention this week in Milwaukee?
2: Why, yes, I did.
1: Sort of? Not actually (laughs) in Milwaukee, but virtually in Milwaukee? Well, some thoughts and extended highlights from day one of the DNC's virtual convention. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the Bradcast. (laughs)
3: There are areas where Joe and I absolutely disagree. But that's okay. Because that's America. Uh, well,
4: ain't that America.
1: You and me. Ain't that America? Something to see. Uh, hi. Oh, it's ain't something to see. America, Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. That was Ohio's Republican governor and former Republican presidential candidate John Kasich speaking as part of day one of the DNC's virtual convention on Monday night, the uh, Republican section of that Democratic convention. Also part of that segment was Republican uh, former New Jersey governor and, and George W. Bush's EPA administrator, Christy Todd Whitman, Meg Whitman. She's a, uh, a former Republican gubernatorial candidate out here in California, former GOP House rep from New York, Susan Molinari, all saying, yeah, we're voting for Joe Biden. Now, I know that a lot of Democrats were up in arms that those Republicans got speaking time at a Democratic convention, and some of that anger is justified, I guess, in that as of now, progressive Democratic leaders like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have reportedly only been allotted 60 seconds to speak This week, and that is an outrage that I hope they do change, but I thought that the Republicans going against Donald Trump was actually very effective and very smart, as there are a lot of former Trump voters and... Uh, Republicans, the Democrats, would like to have vote for uh, for uh, Joe Biden this yeah, year.
2: And I think it underscores the big tent idea that, hey, everybody's welcome here. We're all going to work together to save the country.
1: Even Republicans, even Republicans apparently. can come in
2: and do this. Now,
1: of course, you know, Joe Biden is very moderate, as is uh, Kamala Harris. And so progressives, you know, are not going to be in favor of anything that leans things in that direction. But you know what? If you don't win this year... None of it matters. Just saying, Democrats. Uh, In any event, no one had any idea what a virtual convention would look like, but I I guess we do now, I will say that uh, we saw a lot more of the convention than usual.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Because the networks didn't know what was coming next either so they couldn't cut away as easily and 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 you know they didn't have all of those stupid interviews they do on the floor of the convention with people in dumb hats and all the chit-chat among the, the screaming network anchors.
2: Hard to hear. Yeah.
1: So at times it looked yes, it did look like a telethon or an infomercial. But uh, conventions for decades now have always been little more than infomercials, frankly. So, you know, finally the four
2: day long advertisement to say, hey, vote for us.
1: Yeah, but it didn't used to be. There used to actually be business at these conventions that were done on the House floor. But, you know, the parties don't want anybody to see that. And so, you know, finally, frankly, the Democrats have just done away with the artificial convention pretext and now we just have an infomercial at least they're being honest about it because that's what these things are they're week-long infomercials but anyway uh, since both parties have done away with the actual business occurring on the floor this is what we get we'll see at least from the democrats we will see what we get from the republicans next week but there was actually quite a bit of good stuff in that infomercial in that show, I thought, on Monday night. This segment from uh, Kirsten Urquiza, the founder of Marked by COVID, received uh, quite a bit of attention, uh, deservedly so, on Monday night.
5: Hi, I'm Kristen Urquiza. I'm one of the many who has lost a loved one to COVID. My dad, Mark Anthony Urquiza, should be here today, but he isn't. He had faith in Donald Trump, He voted for him, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, and that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. So in late May, after the stay-at-home order was lifted in Arizona, my dad went to a karaoke bar with his friends. A few weeks later, he was put on a ventilator and after five agonizing days, he died alone, in the ICU, with a nurse holding his hand. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and for that, he paid with his life. I am not alone. Once I told my story, a lot of people reached out to me to share theirs. They asked me to help them keep their communities safe, especially communities of color, which have been disproportionately affected. They asked me, a normal person to help, because Donald Trump won't. The coronavirus has made it clear that there are two Americas, the America that Donald Trump lives in and the America that my father died in. Enough is enough. Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus but his dishonesty and his irresponsible actions made it so much worse. We need a leader who has a national, coordinated, data-driven response to stop this pandemic from claiming more lives and to safely reopen the country. We need a leader who will step in on day one and do his job to care. One of the last things that my father said to me was that he felt betrayed by the likes of Donald Trump. And so when I cast my vote for Joe Biden, I will do it for my dad.
1: That was uh, Kristen Urquiza of Marked by COVID, her father, a Donald Trump supporter who thought uh, the coronavirus was a hoax, uh, died in Phoenix earlier this year. That was uh, her remarks at the uh, first day of the Democratic National Convention. Just one of what I thought were uh, several moving and effective segments. Uh, I thought there was an excellent segment with all of the presidential, Democratic presidential, not all of them, but many Most of, of them, them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the presidential candidates. Though it only reminded me, frankly, of how many good candidates the Democrats could have chosen this year yeah but they all seem to genuinely like joe biden uh in their remarks from andrew yang to cory booker to kirsten cinema amy klobuchar jay inslee to tom steyer remember him yeah he ran too and it was just a few months ago so seeing them all again i was reminded yeah they were really good what happened to them did they win But the uh, two headline speakers of the night were former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders and Michelle Obama, former first lady. Let's start with Bernie here, as is being reported today, that uh, he is said to have uh, preferred now Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's running mate from a list that initially included about a dozen potential candidates, according to Bloomberg News. Uh, Bernie thought that uh, while Harris was not the most progressive of the choices, she was the party's best shot at going up against Donald Trump. He uh, spoke out directly against bigotry and authoritarianism, which he said has taken root in this country under Donald Trump. He asked supporters to get behind Biden in a full throated endorsement, warning that all of the gains that he and progressives have made would be turned back if Donald Trump wins another term. We have a president
4: who is not only incapable of addressing these crises, but is leading us down the path of authoritarianism. This election is the most important in the modern history of this country. In response to the unprecedented crises we face, we need an unprecedented response, a movement like never before of people who are prepared to stand up and fight for democracy and decency and against greed, oligarchy, and bigotry. And we need Joe Biden as our next president. Let me take this opportunity to say a word to the millions of people who supported my campaign this year and in 2016. My friends, thank you for your trust your support, and the love you showed Jane, me, and our family. Together, we have moved this country in a bold new direction, showing that all of us, black and white, Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay and straight, native-born and immigrant, yearn for a nation based on the principles of justice, love, and compassion. But let us be clear. If Donald Trump is re-elected, all the progress we have made will be in jeopardy. At its most basic, this election is about preserving our democracy. During this president's term, the unthinkable has become normal. He has tried to prevent people from voting, undermined the U.S. Postal Service, deployed the military and federal agents against peaceful protesters threatened to delay the election and suggested that he will not leave office if he loses. This is not normal, and we must never treat it like it is. Under this administration, authoritarianism has taken root in our country. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Trump golfs. His actions fanned this pandemic resulting in over 170,000 deaths and a nation still unprepared to protect its people. I know that Joe Biden will begin that fight on day one. Let me offer you just a few examples of how Joe will move us forward. Joe supports raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. This will give 40 million workers a pay raise and push the wage scale up for everyone else. Joe will also make it easier for workers to join unions, create 12 weeks of paid family leave, fund universal pre-K for three and four year olds, and make childcare affordable for millions of families. Joe will rebuild our crumbling infrastructure and fight the threat of climate change by transitioning us to 100% clean electricity over the next 15 years. These initiatives will create millions of good paying jobs all across our country. As you know, we are the only industrialized nation not to guarantee healthcare for all people. While Joe and I disagree on the best path to get universal coverage, He has a plan that will greatly expand health care and cut the cost of prescription drugs. My friends, I say to you, to everyone who supported other candidates in the primary and to those who may have voted for Donald Trump in the last election, the future of our democracy is at stake. The future of our economy is at stake. The future of our planet is at stake. We must come together, defeat Donald Trump, and elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as our next president and vice president. My friends, the price of failure is just too great to imagine.
1: Thank you. That was Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, in case you didn't recognize him, uh, <laughs> as, uh, making the progressive case for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris at the first night of the Democratic n- virtual Democratic National Convention. Finally, the uh, former First Lady, Michelle Obama, was the keynote speaker of the night, and frankly, at least in my opinion, uh, she just absolutely killed it. Oh, yeah. I thought that she was uh, quite impressive in her 18-minute address. Obviously, we can't play the full 18 minutes, but I want to play an extended segment of uh, of this address uh, in case you missed it or uh, just in case you would like to hear it again. I actually watched it a second time as we were figuring out what to do for today's show, and I was equally compelled watching it the second time uh, in, in some sense, even more so. We'll see if it uh, plays as well on the radio, but here's Michelle Obama from day one of the DNC.
0: So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election, if We have any hope of ending this chaos. We have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. When he was a kid, Joe's father lost his job. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair, which is why he gives his time so freely to grieving parents. Joe knows what it's like to struggle, which is why he gives his personal phone number to kids overcoming a stutter of their own. His life is a testament to getting back up. And he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up to help us heal and guide us forward. Now, Joe is not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that, but there is no perfect candidate, no perfect president, and his ability to learn and grow, we find in that the kind of humility and maturity that so many of us yearn for right now. Because Joe Biden has served this nation, his entire life, without ever losing sight of who he is. But more than that, he has never lost sight of who we are, all of us. Joe Biden wants all of our kids to go to a good school, see a doctor when they're sick, live on a healthy planet. And he's got plans to make all of that happen. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like, to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. And if we want a chance to pursue any of these goals, any of these most basic requirements for a functioning society, we have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. They're purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters. And they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new. But this is not the time to withhold our votes in protest or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. We have got to vote like we did in 2008 and 2012. We've got to show up with the same level of passion and hope for Joe Biden. We've got to vote early, in person if we can. We've got to request our mail-in ballots right now, tonight, and send them back immediately, and follow up to make sure they're received, and then make sure our friends and families do the same. We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks, pack a brown bag, dinner, and maybe breakfast too, because we've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to. Look, we have already sacrificed so much this year. So many of you are already going that extra mile. Even when you're exhausted, you're mustering up unimaginable courage to put on those scrubs and give our loved ones a fighting chance. Even when you're anxious, you're delivering those packages, stocking those shelves, and doing all that essential work so that all of us can keep moving forward. Even when it all feels so overwhelming, working parents are somehow piecing it all together without childcare. Teachers are getting creative so that our kids can still learn and grow. Our young people are desperately fighting to pursue their dreams. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our consciences, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. This is who we still are. Compassionate, resilient, Decent people whose fortunes are bound up with one another. And it is well past time for our leaders to once again reflect our truth. So it is up to us to add our voices and our votes to the course of history, echoing heroes like John Lewis, who said, When you see something that is not right, you must say something, you must do something. That is the truest form of empathy, not just feeling, but doing, not just for ourselves or our kids, but for everyone, for all our kids. And if we want to keep the possibility of progress alive in our time, if we want to be able to look our children in the eye after this election, we have got to reassert our place in American history. And we have got to do everything we can to elect my friend Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Thank you all. God bless.
1: Former First Lady Michelle Obama speaking at day one of the Democratic National Convention. Making a uh, compelling case for Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Uh, That was about eight minutes of her 18-minute speech. Yes. I suspect that 18-minute speech would have been about a 45-minute speech had it been live with an audience uh, interrupting with applause after every line. Yep. So we actually get a lot more uh, content than we otherwise might have been able to, at least uh, here on the broadcast. Yeah,
2: I think it was more interesting and more heartfelt in this format. I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that the uh, DNC embraced that this is how it's going to be, and they made that good. Well, I they, they like. had
1: little choice, I think.
2: <laughs> well, true, but, but it, they could have tried to fight against it. They didn't. They uh, they embraced the format. They yeah. embraced the, uh, the uh, squeezing what they could out of the way that it has to be. And I think it was more compelling, actually, and heartfelt.
1: And, uh, you know, the somber tone that we had sort of throughout the entire uh, affair, uh, was kind of appropriate to the yeah. times we're at here. Whether we can uh, all stand that for uh, three more nights, we'll find out. We'll see. And uh, what Republicans have in store for their own convention, um, well, <laughs> that remains to be seen. Buckle up, I guess. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Well, we are certainly melting out here in Southern California today. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. uh, With uh, temperatures pushing three digits. So Desi Doyen, all we need you to do now is follow Michelle Obama. Do you think you can do that? (laughs) I'll try. All right. Good luck to you. Here is our latest Green News Report.
2: Tonight in California, fires burning at both ends of the state. Extreme weather broils the United States.
4: More and more glaciers are falling into the ocean.
2: Greenland ice sheet potentially hits point of no return, study warns. Plus, Trump administration officially opens pristine Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil drilling
1: all of those disappointments and more straight ahead from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman
2: and i'm desi Doyen.
1: stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment
4: mr president let me ask you about a breaking news story from the wall street journal they say the trump administration plans to open up part of the pristine arctic national wildlife refuge to oil drilling what can you tell us about that
1: well, we're looking at different things. We may or may not do it. Uh, we did do Anwar, as you know. Uh, Mr. President, Anwar stands for Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. You didn't know that, did you?
0: you know, I hate
1: to say it. In theory, I should go down as a great environmental president. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, 2020 has brought us a global pandemic, a plague of locusts, murder hornets, and now out here in California... Fire tornadoes.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes indeed it has. But more on that in a moment. First, an update on global temperature records. Europe's climate service had ranked July 2020 as the third hottest July ever recorded. But they were wrong? Yeah, not really. NASA and (laughs) NOAA, using a different data set, have announced that July 2020 was the second warmest July since record keeping began in the mid-1800s.
1: See, NASA and NOAA fudging the data.
2: The six warmest Julys have all occurred in the past six years. We also have the earliest 11th named storm ever recorded in the Atlantic hurricane season. Tropical storm Josephine, now spinning safely away from the U.S., beat 2005's Hurricane Katrina by 10 days, due to unusually warm and in some areas record warm oceans. The U.S. is enduring an outbreak of wild extreme weather. 75,000 Iowa residents are still without electricity more than a week after that derecho, a Mm. wall of severe storms hundreds of miles long, knocked out power during a heat wave. It also destroyed 13 million acres of Iowa's corn crop.
1: And for folks who don't know, a derecho is just a huge, like like a hurricane in the middle of nowhere.
2: A hurricane on land. Yep. An exceptionally intense heat wave in the West is generating hazardous smog pollution and exacerbating wildfires in Colorado, Utah, and California, forcing emergency planners to scramble to arrange safe shelter for fire evacuees amid a pandemic. In Northern California, a massive wildfire spawned fire tornadoes, literally tornado force winds caused by the fire. And California's Death Valley National Park appears to have hit 130 degrees. Fahrenheit on Sunday. If confirmed, that would be the new highest ever reliably recorded temperature on the planet.
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure that we should have a Twilight Zone episode. Just name it 2020.
2: In Arizona, crucial southwest monsoon rains have failed to appear. Phoenix is embroiled in its hottest summer on record to date. And yes, all of these consequences of heat are directly linked to man-made global warming, according to CBS News meteorologist Jeff Berardelli.
3: You know, climate change is definitely contributing uh, to this heat wave. In fact, the West is warming faster than pretty much any other place in the United States.
2: Meanwhile, a new study warned late last week that, as predicted, the Greenland ice sheet is is now out of balance losing more ice into the ocean every year than it gains from snowfall the study warns that if the rate of ice loss continues to accelerate the ice sheet will reach a point of no return but that tragic outcome depends on choices we make today and whether governments choose to cut greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous global warming that's according to glaciologist harry zecolari of delft university in an interview with france 24
1: it's clear that there's too much eyes being lost, And so there's no equilibrium. But of course, what we're going to do today and the actions that we're going to take will have a big influence on the future evolution.
2: Also in the Arctic Circle, on Monday, the Trump Interior Department released final plans to open up more than a million acres of the pristine Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil and gas drilling, overturning five decades of protection for the largest remaining stretch of wilderness in the United States. Native American tribes and environmental groups have already promised to sue to stop the drilling.
1: And Donald Trump doesn't even know that ANWR is the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge.
2: Finally, in Alaska's North Slope, where man-made global warming is rapidly melting permafrost, oil giant ConocoPhillips plans to use massive industrial chillers to keep the Arctic tundra frozen beneath its roads and oil drilling pads, literally to refreeze the soil so that they can continue drilling for the oil that is causing the warming that in turn is causing the permafrost to melt beneath their feet. Irony is dead in 2020.
1: For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to or didn't want to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report.
4: We up north. no to Alaska. We up north. No, to Alaska. no to Alaska. Go north. Yes.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Desgoyne.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's kind of weird that Trump decided to open up the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge because Why the, is it oil, weird? the oil industry is not actually interested in drilling in the Arctic. They're kind of abandoning the Arctic, and the banks have gradually started to stop to financing as the well. Arctic. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, that's not going to stop him. He'll do anything that uh, he thinks uh, ticks off the world, basically, <laughs> by True. this point. Uh, and Anyway, thank you very much, Des. Uh, Full, a chock full. Green News Report. Frankly, a chock-full hour of the Bradcast. I challenge you to find any uh, program on or off your public airwaves, which fits in uh, quite as much information into about (laughs) 58 minutes as we do here on the Bradcast. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's chock-full program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate so that we can stay on your public airwaves as long as possible, at least through this election, if not beyond. But, you know, of course, who knows how long this election is going to go. We could be here for years and years. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry to threaten you. All right, that's it. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog I'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.